hello and welcome to the Growth Adventure Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Appel. I am excited to be joined by uh, Kristen Nunnery, uh, CEO and founder of MyCOI. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Andrew. How are you? It's so good to be here today and appreciate you having me on the show. Well, we are uh, uh, thrilled to see where the conversation goes, but for the benefit of our listeners, could you maybe give a, a quick description of what MyCOI is and does? Yeah, you bet. So MyCOI, we are a software company that is here to support businesses who are hiring a lot of third parties like contractors or suppliers or signing leases with tenants to help ensure that all those third parties have the insurance that they are supposed to have so that when accidents happen or things go wrong, we're protecting all of our customers and all of their employees from the disruption that can come from an uninsured claim and helping to make sure that they don't live through that disruption. It's actually, a, a the company was founded because of a personal situation I, I lived through. So quick background to help connect the dots of really what our purpose and passion is. When I was in high school, our house burned down and it was basically a total loss. And it was, you know, buying toiletries, buying clothes, find a new place to live kind of situation. And the type of insurance policy that we had ultimately ended up turning into like a three-year battle with the carrier before the claim was ever paid out. And just a lot of challenges my family faced during that window of time, a lot of stress, a lot of heartache. Parents actually got divorced in that window. And ultimately what drives us and what we're motivated to do today is to help protect people from living through that same type of disruption. We just apply it in the business world and help to protect both our customers and all their third parties, which oftentimes are small businesses where uh, you know, if they faced an uninsured claim, they could actually go under. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs are absolutely driven by a personal passion. And I'm, one, I'm, I'm thrilled that my CUI is, is thriving, but I'm sorry that that personal passion was so such a painful and traumatic experience for you. But that actually, I, it, it, I, I want to get to your entrepreneurship and kind of founder's journey. But let, let's start right off the top since you kind of brought it up with um the importance of risk transfer. So, you know, hopefully our listeners aren't turning this off at this point, but, you know, their risk management is a multifaceted, you know, endeavor that yes, insurance is part of it. Yes. You know, looking at your safety processes and, you know, physical plant safety is a huge part of it as well. But I think probably the most overlooked part of a good risk management process is that whole contractual risk transfer that, you know, quite often and you know even as just consumers we do it all the time right we sign we sign contracts that we don't necessarily really look through but those contracts have a huge downstream implication at a time of loss i mean for your customers with my coi how do you see them engaging with that kind of contractual risk transfer mechanism yeah so you bring up a, a wonderful point that it's often that overlooked part of the overall risk management uh, program, because I, you know, what we find specific to third-party contractual risk transfer, how organizations are making sure vendors, suppliers, contractors are compliant, more often than not, organizations are in a situation where um, they, they don't know what they don't know, and they are collecting certificates, they're looking at limits, they're checking dates, they know that it's an important process and they know that their vendors need to be compliant. 
What they don't realize is what really matters when a claim comes up is the language within the policy itself. And you're not going to really know if there's going to be coverage to take that claim just by looking at the certificate itself. And so something that we are very you know, focused in on is to help with that education and help organizations kind of overcome the lack of awareness that often exists in that area and help coach and educate to make sure that they are starting to go a little bit more in depth into the insurance policy so that it can be done effectively and they can feel more comfortable and confident that when you know, an accident does happen, that insurance really will be there to help. And this is where I'll give the uh, gratuitous plug for what you do as well as what we do, which is when you're talking to attorneys, also talk to your risk management professionals because that language will have a direct impact on your insurance policy and unfortunately how that policy responds at the time of loss. And nobody wants to be in a position like your family was where you know the claim process doesn't go the way it should because at the end of the day, insurance should make people whole. But the language and the policy and contracts are a huge part of that. So we're going to get back to my COI, but to kind of get get a little bit to you and kind of the vision for my COI and kind of your journey, could you maybe share a little bit about how did somebody say, you know what I want to do? I want to get into uh, managing contractual you know, documents. Yeah, right. What is the sort of joke around nobody actually like says they want to live in insurance as their career, but once you start, you kind of get like hooked into insurance and so many of us that have made it kind of a lifelong uh, journey. But, you know, for me, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I knew growing up, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I actually thought that, well, my first attempt to add a business was a stock photography agency and started that in college, had some very quick lessons learned, failed fast and realized, okay, that's not the path I want to go down. And after college, I moved back from Indianapolis, moved back home and started flipping houses. So I flipped houses. I had rentals, was in like the residential real estate world. And um, in that part of my chapter, I, had, I actually was experiencing this, right? So hiring subcontractors to come in, flip the homes. It was just on a much smaller scale compared to what we do for our customers today. And when the housing industry you know, went south back in, was it 08? The time frame of, for me, starting to make a shift into, you know, what's the next chapter of my, my career and decided this was going to be it. And so it kind of, has, you know, multiple factors that were, you know, recognized as an opportunity to go do this. But more than anything, it was a recognition of just how large of an opportunity there was to make a very meaningful difference in how this specific process was handled in many different industries. You know, it's just everybody out there at the time was doing this with an in-house, very manual process. And it's a critical risk management function that's done in, you know, every, just about every industry out there. And so just sort of got really excited about the opportunity to have a significant influence and see a way to, to do something meaningful and have a lot of fun being an entrepreneur to go do that. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with an Excel spreadsheet, but at a certain point, everybody <laughs> outgrows it, right? So how many colleagues do you have at MyCY? Yeah, so we're a team of 90 today. Uh, we actually have grown quite significantly people-wise, team-wise. Over last year, we've uh, grown over 50%. So we've been able to work through a lot of those hiring challenges and talent challenges that we're all facing in the market today to be able to expand and really to help us invest in our customers and help us invest in the future 
roadmap that we have for the organization. Yeah. And how would, how would you describe your aspirational company culture? Oh, gosh. Our culture is probably what I'm most proud of in our organization. So I think about just overall our, our culture of that team. It's something that first and foremost, teammates want to be there. They want to work there. They feel very proud to be there. They feel very supported. I think it's a collaborative work environment. It is a supportive work environment. It is very much a family-oriented type environment. We are, we are a people-first company. I, you know, as going through my own journey of leadership, I think in the early stages, you can get really focused in on some of the how-tos of, you know, how to get the right product market fit. How are you going to sell this? How do you raise capital? How do you hire people? How do you, you know, the 8 million hows you've got to figure out to get a business off the ground. And somewhere along that journey, along the way, really just starting to recognize at the number one priority, I believe, is it's a people. If you can build a team uh, that is a successful team and an engaged culture and you support your team effectively, you can accomplish whatever business goal you're set out to accomplish. And so for us, we just make a very intentional people first effort every single day to be able to, to build that culture that um, people can thrive in. Well, I, I want to follow up on that a little bit because I think something that a number of entrepreneurs struggle with, especially ones who have started multiple ventures, right? Is you're, you're a doer. And I'd just be curious in your leadership arc, was there a moment when you recognize I guess that pivot from the how to the people and was there like a seminal moment or was it an evolution? I'm just, I'm just curious to kind of learn a little bit more about, you know, going from you to now 90 people. And as you said, if you're a people first culture, that means that you're not first. Right. So I'm just kind of curious about learning a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think reflecting back on that, it's probably a little bit more of an evolution, but a few different things come to mind on it. I think, you know, one every chapter as an entrepreneur, you're learning how to lead in a new way for the first time, right? And so there was definitely a, a window of time where it was that transition and it was learning to lead through people and learning what some of the core fundamentals needed to be to be an effective leader leading through people. And I, you know, it probably came from facing challenges. And I, I have some recollections around reaching some points in time where we really stopped and said, we need to become very intentional about what our core values are, about what really digging deep into what our purpose and our mission is. And that was probably a component of that evolution happening, of being able to see that. And I think that came from like a window of time where we were starting to grow enough where the team was big enough that it wasn't such a tight knit group that's working together all day where just things happen naturally. And we also started to recognize the culture was starting to just be formed by who the leaders were instead of it being this intentional effort of really what we want the future to be. And so it probably was facing some challenges and some pain points of, you know, leading people and hiring and retention and um, things that sort of helped create that, recognition of you need to elevate as a leader and start to think about things a little bit differently and adjust to 
what priorities need to be and how I need to approach leadership. Well, thank you. And so kind of a, a related question, because you touched on it earlier, is the whole funding aspect, right? So, you know, you are a, a woman leader in technology, which is, I, I would say, not as common as it should be. So how, I, I would just be curious, as you've gone through multiple rounds of funding, as you've grown my COI from an idea to what it is today, what has that journey been like in engaging probably presumably initially in, in probably more local friends and family type funding to, you know, professional investors. How, how has that educational process been for you? Yeah. Yeah. So we have gone through multiple rounds of fundraising. So we have followed that journey of the, the friends and family, the angel rounds and continue to go, you know, upstream. We've done both equity and debt. And definitely have learned a lot throughout that process and been able to really grow throughout that process. You know, but I think fundraising is the number one thing I think people invest in is, is the leaders, right? And so I think fundraising is very much a sales journey. Of course, you have several of the very expected checkbox items that, you know, need to make sense for the investor. But at the end of the day, it's like being able to have the investors have confidence in you. Right. And so there's no doubt being a female on that journey has had its challenges. And there's been times I've walked in rooms and could tell pretty quickly that I would be shocked if this group ever invested in a female kind of scenario. Unfortunately, those are tough moments and they, you know, comes with all sorts of just sort of feelings and emotions and frustrations around that. But I think there's also the flip side of that where it can also be a strength and it can also be a uniqueness that can help support fundraising or really anything that's done. Right. And I just think it's, it's important for women to continue to support each other and continue to be successful, to be able to kind of level the playing field on this. And I think it's getting a lot better on that front. But it, yeah, it's a, uh, there are stories that, that definitely like, you know, stick with you when you think about the journey of, of raising. I will say though, I'm really impressed right now at how many funds are out there with initiatives around investing in women, investing in minorities. There are women led funds out there now today, which is phenomenal to see. And so I think, you know, fundraising is hit the streets, figure out where your strengths are, lean into those strengths come prepared and, you know, you've got a good business model behind you. It's something you can get, you know, you can get done. Well, I've got, I got two follow-up questions on that, but the first one is from your perspective, purely as an entrepreneur and now having done multiple rounds of funding, do you approach it differently today as far as, you know, I, I assume at some point you were just looking for anybody to give you money, but now that you've got a product and you've got a track record and you've got customers, you know, you can be a little bit more, discriminating is the wrong word, but you can be a little more choosy probably. How how do you approach potential partners today that maybe you wouldn't have at the beginning? That is spot on. You can absolutely be more choosy and really probably could have been that way early on, but didn't realize it. So, and we're actually preparing ourselves right now to go back out for another race. So I'm, I'm beginning this process again right now. And I would say... It, We's, we have defined what's very important to us in finding a capital partner during this next raise. 
and we are very critical about what that looks like. And two things that I think about much more today than I would have before are one, their strategic value that they can bring above and beyond the money, above and beyond the coaching and the support that can come with it. But for us specifically, you know, strategic value within our industry. And we're very intentional about who we're having conversations with on that front. And the other one that's become incredibly important, I definitely did not recognize early on, was the culture fit. And, you know, I feel like we often talk about culture fit in the hiring process today, and that means different things to different people. But for us, we're back to we're so incredibly proud of the culture we built and the people that we have that we want to protect that. And it's really important that any investor that comes in aligns with that. So we're looking at this. In fact, I had a breakfast meeting with somebody this week, and um, they were talking about, you know, how do you filter out from one investor to the next, because they often all say the same things in every conversation. You know, how do you really peel the layers back below that? And I was like, honestly, we, we plan to go through a very similar process that we do with hiring people, which is a pretty intensive process. We plan to go through that same process as we go out and find this capital partner. Uh, I never in a million years would have said that when raising capital in the first couple of rounds of it. I would have, I would have shied away from that. Like that's, uh, that's asking a lot of the other party, but that's just the change in mindset and also recognition, understanding of where different value comes into play as the business matures. Awesome. Well, last question for you before we pivot to the lightning round and then get back to talking about my COI as a company. One of the themes of this podcast is representation. And so since you touched on it, I'm hoping you might talk about how you see yourself giving back and promoting representation within technology going forward. Yeah. So I think it's very important if called to do so, you know, if you if if your heart is there and um, mine is, my heart is there for being able to wanting to be able to support more women in technology and in business in general, uh, be able to succeed and be able to grow businesses and you know, I actually just made a decision over the last week to take on a leadership role within an organization in Indianapolis. This actually hasn't been announced yet, so I'm holding back on the name of the organization here. Um, but the reason I chose to do it uh, was because it would be an opportunity to be able to help support other women who are running businesses or entrepreneurs who are growing successful, established um, organizations in Indiana. And I'm really looking forward to being able to influence that and be able to recognize some of the challenges that I faced and the journey I've been on. And I, I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm paving a path. And I hope that I can do that in a way that makes things a little bit easier for the next that come along, because it, it really takes a tremendous amount. I, I often talk about grit. Grit is like my thing. It takes a tremendous amount of grit to be able to be an entrepreneur at all, and then add in the elements of being a female entrepreneur and some of the challenges that come with that. It just takes that passion and perseverance to be able to work through those challenges. And if I can help support other women in that journey to be able to alleviate some of those friction points and support them better, um, I feel like that's an important thing to commit to. Well, that's awesome. And uh, if, that is publicly announced between now and when the uh, podcast is released. We'll make sure it's in the show, show notes. But 
Uh, so pivoting over to the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you four questions. There are no wrong answers, just long answers. So um, first question is, what would we find on Kristen's car radio? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, if I'm not listening to one of my books, I do a lot of audio books. But music-wise, I love music. Absolutely love it. It brings me energy. It helps me kind of shut my brain down. It is Pandora, and it's going to jump between... Um, <laughs> I have a, a country station that I absolutely love, Macklemore, and a 90s rap. You choose. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Eclectic. There you go. Uh, so the second question is, what would we find on your bedside table? Oh, hmm. Pretty plain and boring there. It's just going to be my, my phone that distracts me all too often. I need to do a better <laughs> job of turning off. <laughs> all right. Uh, so next question is, uh, cats or dogs? Dogs. No doubt dogs. I've owned six in my life as an adult. I've adopted six. I have two right now. They are one of my passions. And yeah, I have a huge love for dogs. Well, like I said, there are no, no wrong answers. And um, my apologies to the cat people out there. All right. So the last question, and this one is a bit more serious. Um, and I'll emphasize the one part. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given? Oof. I think just don't let anything hold you back. If you have a desire and a passion to do something, go after it. Awesome. Well, uh, Kristen, before we wrap up here, how, uh, how could our listeners both A, learn more about MyCOI, and then to kind of maybe talk a little bit about the types of companies that you partner with? Yeah, so you can learn more about us on our website, mycoitracking.com. Also LinkedIn, Facebook, contact information if that's in the notes in the podcast, of course. And, you know, we support businesses in many verticals. We do a lot with construction, real estate, franchise, manufacturing, energy, et cetera. But basically organizations that are working with 200 plus third-party contracts who are looking for ways to have a more efficient process for tracking those certificates of insurance or a more effective approach to mitigating risk with it. We would love to be able to have a conversation, share a little more about how we can help. Awesome. Well, uh, Kristen Nunnery, founder and CEO of MyCOI. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Sincerely wish you the best, both in your next round of funding as well as continued growth and just cheering along a Indianapolis-based women-led business. So thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. It was so wonderful to be here today. Have a great day. You too.